What a blessing to know that that day we will be, have been transformed completely into the image of Jesus. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. If you're new here this morning, I want to give you a special welcome. Uh, my name is Jason Armstrong. I'm an associate pastor, and as Pastor Jonathan's away, I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. Let's be in prayer as we're in Deuteronomy, remembering the story of Israel and the laws that God gave to them, uh, not all of which apply to us today, but all of which we can learn something from about God, about us, and about Jesus. But as we remember uh, Israel's story, let's be in prayer for Israel right now. Uh, I've been praying for the Ukraine. Let's pray also for, for Israel. And Children's Church, Kids have been learning about the Ten Commandments. It's good to have the kids in the service with us this morning. I know that it can be uh, difficult for you to sit through uh, a service, but I'm glad you're here. And we'll be learning a little bit later on today. Uh, as Bill was reading in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, um, that it's important to remember our salvation. It's important to remember our salvation. And that's why the kids are here with us this morning. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, we'll be remembering what Jesus did for us. And we want all of us as a church family to remember our salvation together. In Children's Church, they've been studying about Ten Commandments. Uh, thank you for those who serve in Children's Church. And core this morning, and thank you to all the core leaders. Uh, we also talked about God's law. We learned that the perfect obedience that God wants is actually a response of worship to Him for his undeserved salvation. And it's a response of worship through wholehearted, whole life dedication. As you might have picked up through our reading this morning, this is about God's law. Just like we've been studying and we'll be studying more about in core later on. But none of us are usually big fans of rules. Have you ever felt like a rule was unreasonable? Maybe the time you have to go to bed if you're a kid, or no speaking during study hall, maybe the speed limit, or the way they figure real estate taxes and double them every other year. Many times, we're tempted to think that God's laws are a bunch of unreasonable rules. However, in the passage this morning, we see that God actually gave his law not as a bunch of unreasonable rules, but as ways that Israel could worship him with their whole heart. Martin Luther once thought that God's rules were unreasonable. He tried really, really hard to obey the rules. And he realized they couldn't, just like all of us have realized. We try to obey our parents and, and we fail. We try not to be jealous of what others have. And, and we fail. We try to love one another and to forgive each other, and, and we fail. And he kept failing, and he came to the conclusion that God had asked him to do a bunch of things that God knew he couldn't do, and then condemned him to hell for not doing them. And he came to his leader in the monastery, and he said, I hate God. I hate God for all of his unreasonable rules. And his leader, the leader in the monastery, Johann, uh, told him, 
pray this prayer. When you find yourself failing, pray this prayer. Lord, I am yours. Save me. He had to come to realize that what he needed and what God wanted from him was to give his life to God so that God could clean it up. So that his spirit could help him to grow in showing his love to God through obedience. Later, he came to learn in the study of Romans that the righteousness, this perfect righteousness that God wants from us is a free gift that we receive by faith in Jesus. And then his spirit comes into our hearts and fills our hearts to overflowing with life, God's life, with love, God's love. And he writes God's law on our heart. Sometimes we can read God's law and get a little confused. Sometimes we think, what are all these laws? Do they all apply to us? Well, no, this is part of a story, which we're going to see in just a little bit. We have to put the law into its story in order to understand it correctly. Maybe you've come into a conversation halfway, or maybe you were in a conversation and somebody else jumped in halfway, listened a little bit, and then started joining the conversation, and you realize the person does not understand what we were talking about. We need to make sure that we put God's law in the story in which it is given in order to properly understand it. James says that God's law is like a mirror. We were listening to a kid's cassette or a kid's tape. Kids, that shows how old I am, right? Kid's story uh, about a pirate. A pirate at one time had been very handsome. And well, he, he wasn't so handsome anymore. And somebody showed him a mirror. He hadn't looked in a mirror for a long time. And he said, that guy is so ugly. Throw that thing overboard. When we look into the mirror of God's word and don't like what we see, the problem's not the mirror. The problem's not the mirror. But God's law is not only a mirror that shows us how broken we are. God's law is also a mirror in which we see his reflection. Reflection of his love for us. His, the reflection of his wisdom. So that we can live, God, live life according to God's wisdom. And by faith receive his promised blessings. Many times we're tempted to see God's law as unreasonable. We think these rules too much. Remember the story of Adam and Eve. Just recently, we studied that in a Sunday morning service. What was the serpent's deadly lie to Eve? God is not good. His rules are unreasonable. They only keep you from truly enjoying life. But Jesus was also tempted. Eve learned too late that that was a deadly lie and that she had put her faith in the lie of the murderer of her soul. But Jesus was also tempted. 
But he exposed the serpent's lies with the text that we're in this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus teaches us in his temptation and how he resisted temptation to remember that God's commands are like food that we need to live well. God is always faithful to his word. He doesn't have to be tested. He can be trusted. God is the only one who deserves our wholehearted, whole life worship because he is the only one true God. Instead of falling into the trap of believing that God's laws were unreasonable, Jesus knew that God's law was given to his people to teach them true worship. How to worship God for his power, for his love, and for his wisdom. True worship of the one true God, as we see in this passage, we'll see three things about it. First, it's joyful fear. Second, how do we, lo- how do we joyfully fear God? Through loyal love. And why? Why should we joyfully fear or joyfully wonder at God's love, power, and wisdom? Why should we love him loyally above everything else? Because of grateful remembrance. And we'll conclude the service with the Lord's Supper, proclaiming Jesus' death until he comes and remembering our salvation. But before we look, at Deuteronomy. Before we look at Deuteronomy 6, kids, have some pictures for you. We're going to be telling the story of the law to put it in its proper context so you can understand what this means that God's commands are to help us to worship Him rightly. Thanks to uh, my wife Heather for putting this together. She's not only my graphic designer, she's also my research assistant. Uh, several of the illustrations that hopefully I'll be able to share are, are her work. Also, she helped us uh, put out a table in the foyer with resources uh, for parents, uh, for families, uh, for everyone to be able to uh, read together and learn more about this story and about how we can love God as we should. Oh, let's go back to that. So first, kids, you probably know who this is, right? Abraham, this is where we ended our study in Genesis, where God had called a new Adam and Eve, a new couple, Abraham and Sarah, and had promised that through that, that he would multiply them to fill the earth. He promised that he was going to bless all nations through them, and he promised to give them a land like Eden that was overflowing with milk and honey with God's abundant provision. But think about the story. Remember, we're talking about God's law. God's law hasn't come yet. God didn't tell Abraham. Now, if you obey these 613 laws, which you find in Genesis to Deuteronomy, perfectly for this amount of time, then I will call you to the promised land. No. As we learned when we studied Abraham's life, Paul points out that Abraham was 
declared righteous by his faith in God's promise. He was called to leave his idolatry to come to the promised land to enjoy God's blessings by faith. The law came 400 years later. So the law was not in order to receive salvation. God had already chosen Israel as his people. And then in Egypt, when they were slaves, he didn't give them 613 commands and then say, if you obey every single one perfectly, then maybe, just maybe, I'll rescue you from Egypt. That's not how the story goes. He heard their cries. He remembered his promise. And he came down to rescue them. Here we see his power, his love, and his wisdom in rescuing his people to bring them to the promised land even when they time and time again failed him. But they did show their faith. And by showing their faith, they received his promised deliverance. How did they show his faith? It's what Jesus was celebrating, the Passover, when he instituted the Lord's Supper. They showed their faith by killing an innocent lamb and putting his blood on their doorposts in the form of a cross and eating the lamb together. And through that act of faith, when God came to, to break the power of their oppressors and to set them free, they were spared and rescued by God's judgment. The law was not given before so that they could earn their salvation. God had already promised to give them a family and to multiply them, to give them a land and to make them a blessing. And he fulfilled his promise. Abraham believed God's promise and it was counted to him for righteousness. Israel, even in Egypt, they doubted Moses. But they showed their faith in the Passover. And God responded to that faith by rescuing them and preserving them. Just as he had promised. Because faith is the way we receive God's promises. And then, they go to the Red Sea. And what do they say? Why did God bring us here to die? They try to kill Moses. And what does God do? He doesn't wait for them to obey all 613 commands of the Old Testament before he parts the Red Sea. He does it to show his love and his power and his wisdom to an incredibly undeserving people like you and me. And then they go to Mount Sinai. And it's here at Mount Sinai that they receive the law. This is kind of like the constitution of the United Tribes of Israel. Right? This is for them. All the laws don't apply to us, but we can learn from the laws about us, about God, and about Jesus. And we can learn wisdom for how we can live in light of God's wisdom and enjoy fellowship with him.
here after God had given his promise that he was going to fulfill, after God had rescued them from slavery. And that redemption corresponds to the Passover when Jesus died to rescue us from slavery to sin, death, and the devil. After they had been chosen, after they had by faith received the promise, after by faith they had been rescued, then God said, as my people, not to become my people do these things, but as my people, this is my gift of love my gift of wisdom for you to be able to enjoy the blessings that I have given you when you live by faith. When he gave the law at Sinai, he said that this law was for them to observe, to obey in the promised land as his people, worshiping him alone and loving each other as they love themselves so that all the nations around could see God's wisdom in Israel's life. There were to be a city on a hill, and others were to see their good works and glorify their Father who was in heaven. We see this happening in Solomon's time, when people from all over the world are coming to hear the wisdom that God gave Solomon. But they failed. The 11-day journey from Sinai to the Promised Land turned into a 40-day death march. I'm sorry, 40-year death march. Why? Well, Hebrews tells us that those who had been rescued from Egypt, those who had been baptized in the waters of the Red Sea, corresponding to our rescue through Jesus' Passover sacrifice, corresponding to those of us who have proclaimed our faith publicly through baptism. And then they had even eaten of the manna, of God's provision for them. And yet, they didn't enter the promised land because they didn't believe. And the author of Hebrews says, don't be like them. Because while national Israel was saved, was redeemed, was chosen, was rescued, entered into this covenant, it corresponds in some ways to us, but in some ways they're dealt with as a nation and we are now dealt with as individuals. So that doesn't mean that just because they were in Israel, just because they were rescued, just because they passed through the Red Sea, that they were actually going to had trusted God individually. He said, don't be like them, who because of their unbelief, did not enter, did not receive God's promised blessing. Instead, they traveled in the wilderness of 40 years and died. It doesn't mean we can lose our salvation, but it does mean that we can do a lot of good things, including be baptized and including take the Lord's Supper and not really have Jesus in our hearts. If we truly have been rescued and redeemed, then by God's Spirit, we should grow in lives of worship. Finally, Deuteronomy is the end of Moses' life. 
Those who were adults, when they came out of Egypt, are all dead now. Now he's preaching to his youth group, who are now the next generation. And he's telling them, you must worship God alone. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That was the essence of his message in Deuteronomy. But this morning we're going to see three parts of this message. How do we truly worship God? What is true worship of God? How do we truly worship God? And why? First, joyful fear. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules. The Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land that you are going over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God, you, your son, and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Joyful fear. Now maybe you're thinking, that seems like a contradiction of terms. Joy and fear don't seem to go together in my book. Well, let's chalk it up to a translation issue. No, it's actually more than that. This word is sometimes translated as terror, and there's an element of that. But three times more in the King James Version, this word is translated awe. So joyful fear actually means joyful awe or joyful wonder at God's power, his love, and his wisdom. Michael Reeves has written a book about the fear of the Lord called Rejoice and Tremble. Jesus in Revelation, which we're studying now on Sunday mornings, how does he appear to John? His face shining like the sun, with the sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes are like fire. His body is like bronze, flaming bronze. Terrifying. What does Jesus tell John when John falls on his face afraid? You have nothing to fear. I'm the one, yes, who is the first and the last. With my word, I created the world. With my word, I will destroy, uncreate the world. And with my word, I will make everything new and right again. But you have nothing to fear because I'm the one who gave my life so you could live with me forever. And I conquered death so that I could raise your body from the dead and you could reign with me forever. Should he have been afraid? Well, the fear of the Lord is perfect wisdom and perfect love casts out fear. So you can say there are two different kinds of fear. There's a fear that makes us run from God 
And there's a fear that leads us to joyfully worship God. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read that we as believers are not coming to God like Israel came to God. We're not coming to a mountain that is flashing with the lightning of God's presence. We're not coming to a mountain that's shaking with the thunder of God's voice so that even Moses himself was quaking in fear. He said, you've come to another mountain, to the new Jerusalem, to the new creation when heaven and earth are one. You've come to the joyful assembly of all those who have been redeemed in Jesus' blood. You're coming to the gathering of all of the angels in joyful celebration. And you will see the earth be shaken again. But this time, the same God that shook Sinai will not only shake the earth, he's going to shake the heavens as well until there is no more sickness, sadness, death, or evil. And all those temporary things are shaken away and only the good things that are eternal are here to stay forever. And because, the author of Hebrews says, because we will receive a kingdom that will not be shaken, we will reign with God in an eternally perfect new creation. We should worship God gratefully with reverence and fear. Or the ESV translates it, reverence and awe. This is the joyful fear. That Israel, who had witnessed the fulfillment of God's promises in giving a child to a very old couple, in rescuing them from slavery, in parting the Red Sea, in giving them in love his law, his wisdom, for them to be able to receive by faith his blessings. We now are to worship God gratefully in reverence and awe. Gandalf, in one of the Lord of the Rings uh, episodes, is talking about, it's actually from the, from the book, He's, he's talking to one of his friends, Gimli, and he says a couple other of their friends are okay because they're with this big old tree dude called Treebeard. And, and Gimli, the dwarf, says, but, but Gandalf, it, it, isn't Treebeard dangerous? Gandalf says, of course he is. And he's also wise and kind. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia tries to explain this through uh, the beavers talking to one of the children. I believe it's Lucy. He says, but is the lion safe? Is Aslan safe? Says, no, he's not safe, but he is good. What is this joyful fear? We sing about it often. Oh, Lord, my God. When I, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars and hear the rolling thunder. Do 
her power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Colossians 3, we learn that worship of God for children can be obeying their parents. How? To please the Lord. Obey your parents because this pleases Jesus. Servants, or we could say today, employees, should do their best at work, not just when their employers are watching but for the Lord. We should do our work for him because he's promised us the reward of the inheritance to reign forever with him. How do we show this joyful reverence, joyful awe, joyful wonder, joyful fear? Well, he tells us in verse four, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And then he says, you're supposed to remember these and teach these. Hold them in your hearts and impress them through repetition by decorating your houses, by decorating your city, by wearing them in front of your eyes and on your hands so that wherever you go, you're looking at them. Whatever you do, you're looking at them. And what did they write on their houses? What did they write on their city gates? What did they write and attach to their forehead and to their arms? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. What does obedience look like? It looks like loving God because he first loved us. And it looks like loving our neighbor as ourself. Jesus said that this is what the law was all about. And he also said that he is the God that we should love. He said that we have to love him more than we love our families, more than we love our own lives. We should love him above all because he is the God who came to rescue us. It's one of the reasons we put the Here it says we should repeat this to our children. I wanted to give you guys some... Uh, Examples of some of the books that we enjoy using with our kids uh, to be able to do this by telling them the story. It's the last point, grateful remembrance. When they entered into the land, they weren't to forget as they were experiencing their undeserved blessings, just like they had experienced their undeserved deliverance, just like they had received by faith the undeserved promise. In the land, when they were experiencing these undeserved blessings, they were to remind their children of their story. We were once slaves, and we were freed by this God. And that's why we only worship him 
And that's why we love one another as he loves us. We'll be adding the, I'll bring these to the, to the back afterwards. This is called the Big Picture Story Bible. I asked Pastor Jonathan about uh, his favorite resources, and this was his, his number one pick as well. The amazing thing about the story, obviously, it's, it's, it's rather long, but it'll take you through the scriptures for even children of very young ages. And yet, it is so good. Some of you guys may remember Joel Arnold. He was uh, a missionary. He passed through here, and he's uh, teaching at a university in, uh, in Canada now. He assigned this as reading for a postgraduate class, master's class of pastors so that they could understand the story of the scriptures. Another one that we're reading uh, right now with our kids is called The Kingdom of God. Um, we just finished the Old Testament. We're, we've, we've started the New Testament. And this goes through the story uh, of the scriptures after each short lesson for, for the kids, it goes through four important truths. God's presence, where we find God in the story. God's people, those who trusted God. And God's place through God's promises. So. Finally, this is in Spanish. It, there is an English edition. There is an English edition, by the way. Um, it's also available on, on Kindle. And it's the, uh, the Action Bible. Uh, this is uh, the Bible for kids in a uh, comic book format. So we've seen true worship is what God's rules are all about. God's rules are not unreasonable. All the Old Testament rules don't apply to us today, but we have a lot to learn from them. They're a mirror that show us our brokenness. They show us God's love. They show us God's wisdom. And they also show us our need for God's spirit to give us new life, to give us new power, and to give us a new obedience.